We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Open up our Bibles to 3 John. How many of you guys were able to make it out to the Valentine's Sweethearts thing yesterday? That's cool. I was hoping they recorded it, but they didn't. So maybe some of you can give me an outline, the study. But what a blessing it is to be able to study God's Word together for marriage, for life. Today we have some important lessons, and it's a really neat study out of 3 John. As we read here in verse 1, first of all, uh, this whole concept of health within the greeting, because look what he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. We begin, first of all, looking at this greeting, which he speaks of, you know, truth and walking in the truth. The one thing I came away with in this first section here is just the whole concept of being a healthy Christian. You know, one of the things I like to tell people is this, this is not a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. But you got to come in and you got to listen to the doctor. You know, a lot of times we'll go to the doctor and he gives us a, you know, a regimen, a change of diet. You got to lose weight or whatever it is. You got to be careful with the medication. But, you know, sometimes we won't listen to anything the doctor says. And we go out and we wonder why are we not a healthy people? Why aren't we healthy? Now, some of the things within us we can't control, they're out of our hands. But for a lot of us here, when it comes to being a healthy individual physically and emotionally and spiritually, they are things that we can control. But we lack heart. We lack discipline. And so I do pray that God would raise up a healthy congregation and spiritually and maybe even emotionally, and that would be cool even physically. And that's kind of what John shares here in the beginning we read in verse 1 that he is the elder. As I mentioned last week in our study in 2 John, the Greek word literally refers to an older man, but biblically and contextually in both Judaism and Christianity, it's in reference to those who were considered to be leaders in the movement. The elders were the leaders, the servant leaders. And we read in Acts 14.23 that they appointed elders in every church. We read in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Now it's interesting where the, that word to, to set in order is the Greek word where we get our word orthodontics or, or braces. You know what, any of you here ever had braces? Now you have beautiful smiles, man. And uh, you know, but before they were all twackle, man, they were all crooked, right? And then uh, you went to the orthodontist, and you got the braces, and things were set in order. 
And in one sense, that's what elders are supposed to do. They're supposed to set things in order. When things are crooked, when things are wrong, God uses these guys who should have shepherds' hearts, loving in truth, loving doctrinally, loving practically, to set things in order, to set things straight. And that's exactly what John the Elder is doing through this letter. It's a really cool thing. We know it's John because both church history and the style of writing, the outer witness and inner witness, point to him. And we know him as you read the Gospels. Think about that, John the Beloved. Many people believe that this guy, and I don't know if you can say this or not, but while Jesus was on earth, a lot of people believe that he was Jesus' best friend. That's pretty interesting, huh? I mean, to, to write a letter or to write about somebody that was your best friend. That's what John was doing. And we see that in the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. But then just to learn from the Lord, not only that, so close to Jesus, and now he's 90 years old. Think about this. He's been walking with the Lord, not just you know with a half heart, with a whole heart, walking with the Lord. Think about that for maybe 60, 70 years. You know, I've been walking with the Lord now for, for 20 years, and, and I've learned a lot. I still have a lot to, to learn. But I'll tell you what, man. You know, when you're walking and you're just hungering after God all those years, you really do learn a few things. And I think John, we can really glean from him as he writes this letter, knowing it's from him, knowing it's from the elder, the one that is set there by God to set things straight. And we're going to see today that he not only sets things straight there and then, but I believe he wants to set things straight here and now. Because there are things going on in the church, corporately, congregationally, I believe individually, that should not be going on. Things that ought not to be done that are being done and things that need to start being done that are being neglected. And that's why I thank God for His Word. We have these letters and I, I got blessed by Second John and I got, I got blessed as I studied Third John as God once again teaches me what it is to be a, a New Testament Christian. You know, we know that John was young at the time of Christ. Now he's an elder and he writes to this guy here in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now Gaius was actually a common name in those days. For that reason, we're not 100% sure which Gaius this is. There is a Gaius mentioned in Acts 19, verse 29, as a Macedonian. And then in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, as being from Derby, We read of a Gaius who hosted Paul in Romans 16.23, and then there was a Gaius who was baptized by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.14. We're not sure who he is, but we do know that this Gaius was near and dear to John, and John loved him in truth. We're going to see later that this guy was won to Christ by the ministry of John. And so, has a special place in his heart, and John says right here that he loves him in truth. As I mentioned in Second John, this doesn't simply mean he truly loved him. It actually means 
that Morris Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, said he loved him in the sphere of truth. You see, our love, and we talked about this before, it should be practical love, but it also should be doctrinal love. And what we find is that when we know what we believe, what we should believe, what's essential to the faith, then we have to stick to that because we care for people's souls. We want you to go to heaven when you die. We don't want you to have a crazy life where you're tossed around to and fro while you live. And that's why we care about the truth. I told you last week that truth without love is hypocrisy, but love without truth is heresy. And so we need both truth and love in order to be healthy Christians, which is what John prays for in this man's life. Look what he says in verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The Greek word translated prosper, it's that word that speaks of an expeditious journey. It speaks of success. It's found only four times in the Bible, twice here, and then once in Romans chapter 1, verse 10, and 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Now, some will tell you from a, I guess you could say, a scholarly point of view, that it was a common way of opening a letter, although we don't see it a lot in the Bible. But even today, when you guys write a letter, I don't know when was the last time you wrote a letter, but when you really write like a letter, not just a card, but like a letter, you know, usually you'll say something in the beginning, like, I hope you're doing okay, I hope you're blessed, I hope this letter finds you in health. That's kind of the way he's writing it. But I think even more than that, you know, because our heart is, we want them to be blessed by God. And everything you do, we pray, man, that you would be like a Joseph. That, you know, everything you do would be like that Midas touch, man, of gold. We want you to be blessed in every area of your life. And we pray for you physically. We pray for you emotionally. There's a possibility that Gaius was having physical issues. And so John just lets him know right there that he's praying for him. I'm praying for you. I beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I, I, I know that, like I said earlier, there's that concept of being healthy. You know, how many of you guys eat healthy? Is that a curiosity? No, not many. A few of you do. And I tell you what, I'm starting, you know, and I go through phases. Hopefully I stick to it, you know. But, um, I mean, you are what you eat. I think that we should be careful, you know, not to be bad stewards of the temple that God's given us to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to live with energy, and I'm not trying to be legalistic or anything. Every once in a while you got to have a good, fat, greasy piece of pizza, you know, <laughs> maybe, but... You know, all I'm saying is that, you know, there's that concept. We know the concept of, of what it is to be healthy. And for some of us here, we know that it's out of our hands. But for others of us here, we know what it means and what a difference it makes when we exercise, what a difference it makes when we eat right and drink right. There's energy, there's vitality, there's, you know, there's no more sluggishness. I mean, just life changes when you're healthy physically and it requires discipline, right? But the same is true and even infinitely more spiritually. Some of us here, 
I mean, you, you might even be healthy physically, but you are not healthy spiritually because you have not disciplined yourself to eat right, to be in the Word, to be in prayer, to make sure that the things that you're listening to are right on, and, and those spiritual disciplines. See, and God wants us, and we just kind of take that and carry it over. He says, man, I want you to be blessed in everything, and I pray that you're healthy, just like your soul prospers. You see, and that's my prayer, like I said earlier for us as a church, that we would be a healthy people, a healthy congregation through the spiritual disciplines, the grace of God, the way that we deny ourselves and live for the Lord. You know, John here explains the way this health looks in verse 3. He says, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John was filled, man. John was just so happy, flooded with joy. When some of the brethren came and testified of the true work and the true walk of Gaius, the truth was in him, the truth that he walked in. As I mentioned last week, the Greek word translated walking, peripateo, with, with that Hebrew background, it speaks of one's journey, one's life, to regulate one's life, to conduct one's life. Gaius was living the life. And is so blessed because it wasn't just a testimony, it was a testimony, man, that some of the brethren, they came back, and it's one thing if I tell you I'm living the life, and you're like, okay, Manny says he's living the life, but it's another thing when someone else objectively come and says, yeah, he's living the life. And when John heard, and some of the brethren came from the church, that Gaius was walking this talk, like I said last week, he was a walkie-talkie, not just a talkie-talkie, right? I mean, he was, he was walking what he was professing to live and believe in and to preach. And to, just, to, just to double it up with the fact that this is the one that he led to the Lord, that God had used him to win to Christ. And just to hear, I don't know, maybe years later, he's still walking in the truth. There's no greater joy in life. And I, and, I, and I was thinking about that for a number of reasons because let me ask you, what is your greatest joy in life? You know, and for some people it's a vacation. For others it's a new car. You know, I, and I don't know what, what it is that just, man, that gives you joy. Joy in life. But I'm telling you what, that what should bring us the greatest joy is when God would use our lives to bring someone to Christ. And when that someone is real and they go on to live a life for Jesus. And the reason I say that is because I have a strange feeling that many of us here are not engaged in the kingdom of God like that. And I'm not saying you have to be the evangelist. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll be the one to speak the word wherever it is, to whomever it is that God calls you to speak. But I'm saying that there's a part in the body of Christ that we're all called to be in. 
And when we're there faithfully functioning, and we see what God does, how people get saved, and how people live the life for the Lord, there's no greater joy. Be careful. Be so careful that you don't try to find your joy in other things. Find your place in the body of Christ. You know, and just whatever it is, there you are. And you just, you just find yourself as a faithful person. Go fishing. Go fishing, man. The Lord said, I'll make you fishers of men. You know, one of the things about Calvary Chapel, and then Pastor Chuck would tell you, is that, you know, it's the responsibility of the pastor to feed the flock, and then what ends up happening is healthy sheep beget sheep. Yeah, sometimes, I praise God, there's an altar call, people respond here, they get saved. But I tell you what, more often than not, you're the ones. You're the ones who go out there in the highways and byways and valleys and alleys. You're the ones who are out there. I'm in a cave. You're out there in the front lines with people that are so lost and so hurting and dying inside. And they need someone with the guts and the boldness to tell them that Jesus is the answer. And when you do that, and you see people get saved and they pray the prayer and still you're not sure. You're not really sure if that was a real miracle. They prayed the prayer, praise God for that. But then when you see him walking, John says, that's the greatest joy. There's no greater joy than that. And that's so important for us. You know, and I've learned, and I, and I probably share this with you guys every time, but i got to tell you that God is not impressed with holy huddles. He's not impressed, you know, that you, maybe you go and you read your Bible for a little bit, but it doesn't change the way you live. He's not really even all that impressed that you come to church, but you go out and you live like hell. That doesn't impress God. I mean, I praise God that you're here, you know, don't get me wrong. You're like, well, I'm not going to go back. No, I mean, I... I praise God that you're here, but it's not, we're not here just to bless and impress God by being here. We're here to learn, to grow, to fellowship, to serve together, to catch the vision, and then to go out and to live the life. And I've told you guys before, man, it's like, you know, um, the football team, they get in their huddle, and the coach says, oh, what a nice huddle. Well, what does the coach expect from them next? to go out and to execute, right? That impresses them. That wins souls. And here John is just saying, I'm just so blessed. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See? And I pray that that would affect your lives, that that would infect your lives. You know, John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You say you're a Christian? Prove it. You say you're a Christian? That doesn't mean you're a Christian. You have to go out and you have to live the life. And then when you do become a Christian, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's a different life. 
It's a different life when you and I, when people in the church who go to the church and they hear the word of God, they go out and they live in the spirit, yes, but then they go out and they walk in the flesh. There's no power in their life. And John you know, Paul says, if, we're, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. John says there's no greater joy than when you see that new believer go and grow and then even glow, especially when the Lord in his grace used you as a vessel to see them saved. Paul said pretty much the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory. You are our joy. That's the heart that John had. And so we see he speaks about this, this healthy Christian. And then he speaks next about a helpful Christian. Look at verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. A large part of uh, Gaius walking in the truth and just being that healthy Christian is the fact that we read now he is a, a helpful Christian. John commends Gaius and the rest of the beloved brethren for doing well in receiving missionaries and ministers and preachers and teachers, commending them for their hospitality and also for the fact that they gave financially in support to these brethren who had gone out for and in the name of Jesus. You know, and it's quite possible that these same ministers then went back to John and testified to the whole church about the love they experienced through the ministry of Gaius. You know, they went, the church gave them a place to stay. I remember, you know, when I was a, a brand new Christian, maybe about a year in the Lord, I was a mini missionary to Missouri, of all places, Missouri, right? Yeah, where everybody's a Christian. Oh, no, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Baptist. No, there's only one denomination, there's only one church, right? But we went, and I remember as a young adult, we, we did an outreach there. And uh, it was so cool, to be honest with you, because some of the people there in Missouri, they opened up their homes to us. And it's so much better to stay in someone's home if they're hospitable than it is to stay in one of these, you know, fancy schmancy hotels. Because I remember staying in their home and, and they were in a farm. And I still remember the lady, her name was Star. I think she was a hippie when she was young, I'm not sure. But just beautiful people. And, and John is saying, you know, you guys, you did so well. You received them, the hospitality that they received when they went to your town. And then you did so well in that you supported them financially. You received them when they got there and then they went out. Man, you sent them out in a manner that's worthy of God. And you blessed them. See, they gave. And it's so cool. John says there in verse 5, you've been faithful. John says there in verse 6, you do well. He says there in verse 8 that we do such things 
And we do that when we become fellow workers for the truth. You know, I guess the bottom line is, a lot of us here, we're not able or we're not called to be full-time missionaries. But you can be a fellow missionary, so to speak. You see, we often speak about the ministry of Paul the Apostle, how great it was, but he often speaks of his fellow workers in the gospel, people who were co-laborers with him in the Great Commission. Romans 16, verse 3, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Romans 16, 9, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Same Greek word. Romans 16.21, Timothy, my fellow worker. 2 Corinthians 8.23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker. Philippians 2.25, yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Philippians 4 verse 3, and I urge you, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. See, we might not be able to go to Africa. We might not be able to go to Cambodia or whatever it is, whatever that place is that God lays on your heart, but we can still be fellow workers. We might not be a missionary. We might not be an apostle. We might not be a Paul. But we can still be fellow workers involved in the ministry, knowing this, that they could not do what they're doing unless people caught the vision. And some might say, well, God will do it. Yeah, but God uses people. And it's up to us whether or not we want to be a part of it. There's no way Paul could have done it alone. No minister, no missionary, no preacher or teacher can. Thank God for the brethren in the body who catch that vision to receive and support those who go out, who reach out. These guys reach out in the name of Jesus and for the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Think about that for a second and just let it sink in. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, they, they call on the name of Jesus. They get saved. They're no longer headed for hell. They're headed for heaven. They just call on the name of the Lord. It's so cool the way it works. But then Paul writes, Well, then how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And that's where the majority of the church comes in. That's where we come in. We become senders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not, we might not be able to go. We're not called to go. But if not, I pray that we would understand that we're called to send and to become fellow workers for the truth. As I mentioned earlier, it might be a missionary, a full-time missionary. It might be a, a short-term trip, a long-term trip. You know, we have Joshua and Caitlin in Cambodia, Water of Life, the ministry going on there, Victor and Sonia. Every once in a while, Pastor Abraham comes from India. We send him on his way, hopefully in a manner that's worthy of God. Or Holly, she'll be here Thursday. Hopefully we'll send her on her way in a manner that's worthy of God. 
But what happens a lot of times, and what I've seen, especially here in America, is that we are so filthy, rich, and indulgent, and we don't understand that the reason God's given us all these finances is not to drown ourselves in all these riches for our own good, but how about taking those riches and using them for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And you know, you guys, we don't ask for money here. But I'm telling you this, not for my good, but for your good, because one day you will stand before God and give an account of your stewardship. What did you do with all that money? Now for some of you here, man, you're just barely making ends meet. You're good stewards. You don't have all the fancy phones and all that kind of stuff. And, and the Lord knows. Well, this is, you're, you guys are like that widow that she gave everything she had. That's all she could give. But a lot of times here, and we all have to check our own hearts. You know, the Lord was watching people as they were giving, right? And he saw the widow and she gave in a mite. She gave in a penny. That's all she had. But then he saw everybody else. And they were blowing horns. And they thought that they were doing so good. When in all reality, when the accurate assessment was given by the eyes of Almighty God, God says, she gave in more than they did. And I'm not really impressed with what they gave because they gave out of their abundance. But she gave hilariously and sacrificially. And what I find, you guys, and again, I'm not asking for money, but I'm just saying, you know, well, I give my 10%. Praise God that, that you can do that. But are you sure that, that that's all that God wants you to give? And I know some of you here, praise God, you, you already know this. And you've been giving to the church. You've been giving to the works of ministry. You've been giving to benevolence. You've been giving to, you know, I don't know, ACLJ. Or there's a great ministry out there now. Uh, where Eric Metaxas is called Breakpoint. He took over for Charles Colson. Awesome ministry. Parachurch Ministries. It's so cool to see how people catch the vision. But some of you here, here's the bottom line. You know, you can't even take $5 away from the money you spend at McDonald's and give to that radio show that you have been fed on and have been learning from. Years you've never given to them. And God is just saying, I, I want you to be healthy Christians. And part of being healthy Christians is, is being helpful Christians. And, and what do we do? Well, we receive them financially, hospitably, and we send them out. And we give to them in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. When I say this to you, I'm talking to myself too. So don't be all like, oh man, no man. Remember what Romaine would say? One finger pointing that way, three pointing back, right? It's a challenge for us, you guys. It's a challenge. I know we live in America where we think we're entitled to, to everything. We think that a, a, a cell phone is, you know, that's like, uh, you know, you can't live without a cell phone. You can live without a cell phone. Right? And a lot of the things we think we can't live without. I can't live without cable, television, man. 
You know, I can't live, and whatever it is, you know, you've got these, these, you know, I don't know. You go to really, really, really nice restaurants. I don't know. I, I, I'm not being rich, nothing wrong with that. Don't, you know, get me wrong. Abraham was, was rich. Others were rich. There's just so cool when you find people and they just understand what it's all about. And rather than just building up their own kingdoms and, ah, oh, man, I got so much, I, I think I'm going to have to build some bigger barns. And God says, what a fool. What a fool, because you're going to die. And then what? You lost it. Because you can't take it with you, right? But you can send it ahead. And all I know is in, in reading this right here, part of what he's saying is that we have to make sure that we have that same heart. Unfortunately, not all are doing this. Look at verse 9. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Kind of in going through our study today, I would say the first word is, Lord, I, I want to be a, a healthy Christian. I want my soul to prosper. And then secondly, Lord, I want to be a helpful Christian. That when I see, buddy, see somebody who says, I'm not going to take money from the Gentiles. I'm not going to take money from the non-believers. It's kind of funny how some people, even in the church, they'll tell you, hey, Manny, you should write a letter to Coca-Cola and they'll give you some money. Or they'll give you some Coke. Or, you know, you write to Arrowhead and they'll donate water. I'm not going to ask the non-believer to donate to the church. No. These were guys that were right on. We're not taking from the Gentiles, the pagans, living by faith, trusting in the Lord, preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. When you find somebody like that and you support them, you're helpful, right? But what ends up happening sometimes in the church is you're not healthy or you're not helpful. As a matter of fact, you hinder the work. And that's what this guy uh, Diotrephes did. Diotrephes was defined the authority of the scriptures as well as his elder the apostle john john says there in verse 9 think about this i wrote to the church but diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us therefore he says if i come i'm going to beat him up no he just says i will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us. And that word right there means, you know, talking nonsense. He's talking smack about John with malicious words. I mean, this guy Diotrephes, unfortunately, was defined the authority of his elder. We read that he loved to have the preeminence among them. And apparently he was one of those shoving leaders rather than a loving leader. Some guys are like that. They want to have all the power, right? He closed the door to genuine disciples. He wouldn't receive them or support them. 
He talked nonsense about John and the genuine church and even went as far as excommunicating people. Well, you're going to help them? Oh, you know, and then kick you out of the church. And he says, man, if they're not on my list, then you can't help them. And, and it's interesting, you guys. Last week in Second John, we spoke about closing the door to false disciples. And that is so true. And that is so true. But we got to make sure that we have that spiritual discernment. We can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We can't close the door. We cannot and we must not close the door to genuine disciples. And that's where I think sometimes we go wrong as well. Wise is the individual who knows when to divide and when to unite. You know, one of the things about Calvary Chapel, when it was first formed, it was... I remember reading the statement of faith and it was written there in their statement of faith that we acknowledge certain differences that are minors, they're not essentials of the faith and we don't divide over them. And you know, it's important for us to be able to have that heart, you guys. You know, one time I remember reading in the Gospels, it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 49 through 50, you can read it later, but John answered and he said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we told them not to because he doesn't follow with us. So Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. And it's kind of like the equivalent of saying they don't go to our church. They don't go to, you know, Calvary Chapel, El Monte. That's the church, you know. I remember when I first got saved, I bled Calvary Chapel. Don't get me wrong, I love Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is. And when people start dividing over the non-essentials, they are committing a sin that is horrendous in the sight of God, that God says He hates. In the book of Proverbs chapter 6, I hate when they sow discord among the brethren. And so we got to be so careful. You know, it's not easy. You know, we got to make sure that we don't fellowship and unite and offer a platform to those who are false teachers, and we got to call them out. But at the same time, we don't kick out those who are going out in the name of Jesus because they don't attend our church or believe everything we believe, right down to the T. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That Greek word is an interesting word, endeavoring. It's translated eager in Galatians 2.10. We're to be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's, it's translated be diligent in 2 Timothy 2 and 4 and Titus 3.12. It's translated, do your utmost in 2 Timothy 4.21 and even be careful to ensure in 2 Peter 3.14. You see, we got to make sure that we don't unite when God divides and we cannot divide where God unites. And we have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit because in the end, there's only one church. Even though it's crazy, we have in America 10,000 denominations and I'm not saying you give, you know, to maybe them over there, they're not teaching the word as you would see, and maybe them over there, I definitely am not a Calvinist. Don't get me wrong. You know, you pray and you ask God to show you who you support, but when it comes to the end result of who you can fellowship with 
And as God leads you in life, we got to make sure that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We have to endeavor to keep this unity, be eager to keep it, be diligent to keep it, do our utmost to keep it, be careful to keep it. Otherwise, we might find ourselves like this guy, Diotrephes. And I don't know why he wasn't receiving them. You know, some say, well, it's because he didn't want to help them out financially. But he was tight. I don't know. Others say that it was just more along the lines that his name Diotrephes is an interesting name. It has to do with Zeus. You know, and he's got this whole mentality that that's the Greek god Zeus in his name. Now, a lot of times when Christians, when they came to the Lord, they would change their name. And I don't know about you, but if my name was Zeus, I would change my name. <laughs> you know, we know Saul, he changed his name to Paul and uh, Abram to Abraham. And we see it oftentimes, Jacob to Israel. And, you know, I remember one guy, he got saved. His name was Kurt. He didn't like that, so he changed it to Curtis. I mean, we couldn't even do that. A guy was telling me the other day, I think we should still do that. And I don't know, but I'll tell you what, if my name was Zeus... I would change it. But there's something there. There's kind of like an indicator there that this guy, they say, was just half in. He wasn't, he wasn't real. How did he get to the top then? How did he get to be a leader in the church? Well, he was probably one of those type A personality guys. And God didn't put him there. And he created problems. Has that ever happened? Oh, yeah. It still happens. There's still people who are in leadership positions at different churches that don't belong there. They're there for the wrong reason. Sometimes they're there because they're getting paid. They went to seminary, and they're not called by God. And so what he's saying is, you know, I don't know, this guy is, is hindering the work, but whatever you do, look what he says there in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. John steps in and he tells the congregation, hey, don't let these divisive leaders lead you astray. The Greek word translated imitate is the root and origin of our word mimic. So we are not to mimic what is evil, but we do mimic what is good. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And so you're like, man, this is kind of tough. You know, how does this all work, you know? And, and how do I know when to give and who to support and, and all these things? And it's, it's a combination of things. You know, it's interesting. If you look over at verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. And you're like, well, strangers, this is somebody I don't really know personally. How can I be expected to show him hospitality? How can I be expected to encourage them, help them financially. And I think that's where verse 12 comes in. He says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness. And you know that our witness, our testimony is true. You know, Demetrius may have been the one that was rejected by Diotrephes. But here we see that he has a good testimony from who? From all. And we see that he, right here it says, from the truth itself. You know, one of the first things that I'll do when someone says, hey, there's a really cool website, a cool radio, a cool teacher. You know, one of the, you know, because you can't listen to all their studies, right? 
So one of the first things you've got to go do is check out their statement of faith. If they don't have a statement of faith, don't give to that ministry. You find out what they believe, and of course you have to check the fruit of their creed and try to check out the fruit of their conduct. Good testimony among all. Man, even from the truth itself. And I tell you what, here's another way to tell. When someone like John, he says right here, and even from us, this guy's right on. And you know John loves the Lord. He's an apostle. He loves the Lord. And you just begin to put things together. And then God says and gives us the wisdom. Yeah, you can support them. I want you to be involved in them. I want you to, you know, receive them in hospitality. I want you to receive them in financial ways. And so he closes in verse 13, and he says, I had many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. More than likely, John wrote from Ephesus to one of the churches there in Asia Minor. And he's, you know, even at 90 years old, I, I love that. You know, hey, man, hopefully I, I, get to, I get to see you, you know, face to face. This text messaging stuff, sorry, it's just not cutting it, man. We got to hang out heart to heart. And when he gets there, and I have a feeling when, when John got there, he was going to clean house, man. So God is good, you guys. My, my prayer is that, you know, I don't know where you guys are in your walk with the Lord. For those of you who are Christians, I, I just really want to caution you. Be so careful that you do not get entangled in the affairs of this life. That you may please him who enlisted you as a soldier. Never forget your fellow workers, your fellow soldiers. Life in America is a constant pull to pull you away from the Lord and the things of the Lord. To where you don't even care if people are saved anymore. To where it's not a passion. Our heart should break for the lost. And if it doesn't, then something's wrong. Thank God that we have our priorities. My relationship with God. My family. And the world that's dying. Just be careful that you're not trying to find your joy in other things. Because you won't. You never will. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, give your life to Him. So cool. Jesus did all the work. He died on a cross. They put him in a grave and he rose again. And all you have to do is turn from your sins and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And so I pray you would do that today. 
even now. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word together. I thank you for your beautiful people. You love them. You love them so much. You also love the world out there that's dying. And so I pray, Lord, you would give us, give us a passion, give us wisdom. Help us to be fellow workers. Help us to be hard workers. Help us to be sacrificial workers. Help us, Lord, to help others, to be healthy and not hindering. Give us, Lord, I pray, your mind. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here today and you want to receive Christ, you want to know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. If you're here today and, and you, you haven't received the Lord, it's never really happened in your life. But you know you need Jesus. You know that you need Him. You know that when you stand before God, that you need Jesus. And right here, I just want you to pray this prayer. And you pray it in your heart. You mean it. And just say this prayer. Dear Lord, I come to you today. And I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin. And I trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you, to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in your heart and you meant it, well, God will honor that, but you got to confess it before We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.